Welcome to the podcast Saving Tomorrow's Planet. This podcast aims to talk to pioneering people from around the world who are taking action to reduce climate change. Now, in this episode, it's going to be myself, Jeremy Schwartz, who's talking, and I'm going to be talking about creating a purpose for a company or group that leads to employees making dramatic change. In 2013, I became the CEO of The Body Shop. This is a retailer that was created around 40 years ago by Anita Roddick, and in that time went from one store in Brighton to over 3,200 stores around the world in 66 different countries, which makes it one of the biggest beauty retailers in the world. Now, Anita was an incredible pioneering woman because right back then, 30 or 40 years ago, she decided that business needed to be more than an organization set up to make profit, but one that also should do good to society. She created, in some ways, the concept of CSR, environmentalism, and using her business to campaign on subjects that affect the whole of society. At the time, quite a few commentators were probably laughing at the things she was doing. One of the most famous campaigns was that her products had no ingredients that were tested on animals. And at the time, this was a unique idea and one that seemed probably a little bit impossible or definitely breaking the trend of other cosmetics companies. Anita also created another amazing thing called Community Fair Trade. And this is where she wanted to source ingredients, not through a middleman, but directly from communities in countries, in countries such as Kenya in Africa and uh, from Salvador and Brazil in South America and Central America. And this was to ensure that the actual farmers got a fair price for their goods. And so she paid, in some ways, the premium that might have gone to the middleman, paid directly to the farmers. And quite often there was actually paying the women, the, the wives, the money directly just to ensure that uh, they got some of the income and it didn't disappear, perhaps down the local bar. Anita was also passionate about the environment and particularly was famous for campaigning to save the whale and to stop the killing of whales, particularly by the fleets of uh, the Nordic countries and of Japan. And, you know, again, she saw this campaign come to fruition as a global banning was imposed on whaling. Uh, and at this time, through her campaigning, she used posters and window posters to bring these ideas uh, to stark relief and to bring it to the attention of consumers through all her stores. And these posters at the time became well known, if not famous, because of the boldness of their graphics, the clarity of their message, and the fact that it was highly unusual, if not unique, to use a store window poster to actually talk about a campaign that didn't necessarily have something directly to do with the products that were on sale in the store. Another area of passion that Anita showed was her interest in promoting the self-esteem of women and young girls. She was very concerned that the media portrayed women in a monosyllabic manner, particularly around sexiness, as opposed to celebrating the different shapes and forms of women. One of her famous 
posters that brought this idea to stark recognition is when she had made a special Barbie that was not a thin, normal Barbie size, a size that probably is hard for any woman to actually copy or represent, but one that was of a normal size 16 woman. And this became very famous because of the way that she'd used this toy to make a strong point about allowing women to express themselves and be themselves as they want to be, as opposed to from a stereotype that the media portrayed. A final area that Anita was passionate about was human rights. And Amnesty International was an organization that she supported and championed and uh, campaigned for, particularly as she went to a number of countries around the world. She would want to make a statement and a stand on people whose human rights were being abused. It was with great amazement that in 2006 an announcement was made that Anita Roddick and her husband were going to sell the body shop to L'Oreal. Now, the surprise was that actually the body shop had sort of defined itself by being against L'Oreal, particularly on the subject of animal testing. So to suddenly sell to the very company that you'd been challenging seemed very strange to a lot of people. But Anita at the time wanted to ensure that uh, the body shop was looked after and was continued to be nurtured by a company that knew about cosmetics, that knew about beauty, and that was a company that operated across the whole world and therefore could support the company in all the different countries. The CEO at the time, and the CEO now, Jean-Paul Langon, was very respectful of what Anita had created and agreed that the company should be kept slightly separate from the rest of L'Oreal in order to preserve the values that they had been championing, which, in fact, Jean-Paul was very engaged with embracing as well. So the whole concept of community fair trade ingredients was something that L'Oreal embraced, uh, as was the need to progressively reduce from the levels that they did to zero the testing on animals. So, in fact, the body shop and the values it had had a great impact on the L'Oreal business and those values were brought inside the company. But well before this time, the luster, the excitement, the performance of the body shop had been uninspiring. And part of the reason for this was that though it had been a pioneer of incredible uh, form, creating not only a cosmetic retailer business, which hadn't really been done before in the same way, but also one that was built upon a communication that was campaigning on subjects, something started to disappear for the brand in the eyes of consumers over many years leading up to 2006. Now part of that was it's great to talk about other subjects uh, like campaigns but in the end consumers buy products because of the product's performance and they want to hear and they want to know that the product itself does what it says on the tin. And there's a danger that when you talk about campaigning and you talk about bigger societal issues you talk less about the very things you're creating 
and over time people can start to hear messages from other brands and other businesses that seem to talk more eloquently or more sharply or in a more focused way about how their products performed and what made them special. In addition, at this very time as well, the world was just becoming more and more crowded with brands and with marketing messages. And really to succeed in a world of clutter and of noise, you need to be very sharp with your messaging. In fact, you've got to be very focused and clear so that consumers remember what you stand for and it should be done in as simplest way as possible. So with The Body Shop, it was talking about campaigns and about products. But even within the campaigns, it wasn't a single campaign. There were five different campaigns, the ones I've already explained about, about protecting the planet, about against animal testing, etc. And this, frankly, was a slightly confused communication approach because these subjects were not really connected, or they are connected, but really loosely. And so in the eyes of consumers, in their minds, it wasn't crystal clear what the body shop was standing for, both from a product point of view in terms of performance, though, of course, with the name The Body Shop, it's clear it's about body products, but it has far more products than just body. It's got skincare, it's got fragrance, it's got makeup, etc., and shampoo. So clearly the name didn't fully explain what the company was about. But this fragmentation led to a blurring of what the body shop stood for in the eyes of many consumers. And at the very same time, other companies had started to progressively realize that it was important to have a CSR policy or a CSR campaign and to progressively state what they were doing for the planet and for sustainability. In fact, you could say there was almost an arms race to see who could claim the greatest reduction in CO2 or water within their organization and to show a shiny, fantastic brochure on the trees that they were planting and the goodness that they were doing. And right to today, we can see that there is in some ways an arms race of communication to show to consumers that uh, the companies are doing the right things. And within this context, frankly, the body shop was losing its edge. It was not really pioneering either in the areas that it was campaigning or the messages within that. Now, there were campaigns that were very new, that were very different, that were very exciting, but the overall clarity wasn't there. And each of those platforms that I've described, the messages were often repeated or feel slightly deja vu. So in 2013, when I joined as CEO of The Body Shop with my management team, we quickly realized that we needed to confront this question of focus and clarity and redefine what The Body Shop stood for. So now I'd like to talk to you about company purpose. This is a subject that is becoming more and more popular to be discussed and more and more popular for companies to embrace. And I have a particular view on this subject which I'd like to share. It's very important because for companies to be able to embrace not just what they do as their core products, but also to embrace at the same time an approach towards sustainability and reducing climate change, a purpose is a phenomenal tool to allow that to happen and for the whole organization to understand the direction of travel of a company. But I'm sure many of you work for companies and they'll have written up on a wall or in a book or on some paper 
the mission of the company, the purpose of the company, perhaps the goals and objectives, and definitely a whole lot of values. And personally, not only do we find that we are bombarded by marketing messages outside, but we're also bombarded by messages within companies. And frankly, none of us have got time or the memory space to remember complicated, long-winded, large and repeating expressions of what a company mission, values and purpose and vision is. And therefore, right now, what organisations need to do is to simplify, simplify, simplify. I actually believe one can remove the mission and the vision and combine them into a single item called a purpose. Now, a great purpose is a timeless expression an expression which actually acts as a compass to the company in the short term, in every meeting and in the long term on big, huge projects. Now, you may be wondering, well, what's an example of that? And one of the most inspiring ones that I like is NASA's and their expression is to explore the heavens. What a fantastic expression. As you see, it's almost poetic. And actually, the great purpose statements of companies have a poetry about them. It is the construction of a few words which resonate, which carry meaning, which are memorable. And the memorability is crucially important because these purpose statements are not things just to put up on a wall and be forgotten. They should be a living tool that a company uses and employees use to make great decisions. You can imagine that NASA, with a purpose of exploring the heavens would lead to the idea of creating the Hubble telescope or sending out satellites across our planetary system or wondering if they could and do land on Mars with a Mars rover to explore its surface. So it was clear to myself and my management team that we couldn't have five different ideas that the body shop stood for, particularly in this time of clutter of noise, but we needed to come up with a single idea, a purpose that was inspiring, that inspired us to create new initiatives, that was memorable and that was true to the spirit of the body shop. But writing poetry isn't exactly what the management of companies or most companies are famous for. In fact, they're probably more famous for PowerPoint charts or corporate speak than writing just three words that can actually resonate with hundreds of thousands of employees. Well, my management team and I did try and craft such a purpose and sat in various meeting rooms in various offices, crafting away, but nothing we wrote met the criteria we'd set. It all seemed too artificial, too deja vu. It felt like something we'd seen in many other companies on their walls with their mission, vision or purposes. It was a cliche in some ways. And therefore, as CEO, I decided with a, a couple of my management team to go to the Amazon, the place where the destruction of the environment seems to be at its most painful, and to see if we could get inspiration from actually not being in a meeting room or not being in an office, but by being in the very jungles that we seek to protect and that we wanted to champion at the body shop. On arriving in Brazil, we headed for Belém, a city built in the middle of the Amazon forest, really a sight to behold. And from there, we took a large boat, wooden boat, up an Amazon tributary. 
Well, we got as far as we could get with that particular boat and then transferred into a small dugout canoe with a engine on the back and headed up a very narrow, small waterway that was surrounded by trees on either side. After this five-hour journey, we stopped beside the riverbank and climbed out into a deep jungle where a number of Amazonian tribal people were waiting for us. They took us into the forest. Deeper we went, and there there were no paths. We had to make our way and cut our way through the undergrowth and the trees, huge trees that towered above us. In the undergrowth below, the tribespeople picked up various different nuts that they were collecting, and in fact that we were using in some of our body shop products and other cosmetic products. This was where these ingredients, these nuts, actually came from. And they showed us how they made money by collecting these nuts and moving them forward to Belém and then to São Paulo often and then to us in the West. Then the translator told me an incredible story. He explained that the forest that we were in was only 10 years old and that before that, the local tribespeople, with other tribal members from down and up the river, had been cutting down the trees systematically and selling the wood and making good money from it. And they were very happy to cut down the Amazon and to make a livelihood from it. But at one point in time, they came to the end of the forest. They hit another tributary and there was nothing else for them to cut down. They'd cut down every single tree that was owned by them and there was nothing else left to live on. Well, these very same tribal people suddenly realized the error of their ways and they chased away the other tribal people. In fact, they told us they burnt their boats. And what they decided to do instead was to replant the original Amazon trees and let the Amazon create and seed other trees in this area and let it regrow. And that's what had happened. It took 10 years to recover the jungle to be the same as it would have been if it had been left untouched. But here we were standing in what, to me and the others who were with me, felt was virgin jungle. This story gave me a great hope, but also inspired me. So as we headed back to where we were staying that night, a, a little shack beside the enormous Amazon which at this stage and at this point was over 12 kilometers wide and actually looked like a, a sea, I sat down with my colleagues beside the Amazon on a table with my computer and we started to craft some words. We were inspired by the moment, inspired by what we'd experienced and suddenly our creative juices as poets started to appear and from this we wrote these three words to enrich not exploit. Enrich, not exploit. That seemed to be a great purpose for the body shop. It was what we were fundamentally about from the beginning and it was a compass by which we could think about every decision we needed to make in the future, about the way we ran the business, about the salaries we paid people, about the products we made and about the campaigning we wanted to do. And to know that it would have to go through the filter of does this initiative enrich and not exploit? And that is how the purpose for the body shop was created. A purpose, again, is not just a set of words to write on a piece of paper and forget. It is a reference and a compass from which action should be taken. And as a result of this, 
we decided to explore where animal testing of cosmetics was still accepted and where it was banned. And to our great surprise and shock, realized that it was still allowed actually throughout many countries in the world and created a campaign forever against animal testing in which we set the goal to get the most number of signatures ever presented to the United Nations in New York to call on a conference to be organized between the countries of the world to create a global ban on testing of animals. This initiative lasted several months in our stores and uh, online and in the end 8 million signatures were collated worldwide, the most ever presented at the UN in 2018. On Community Fair Trade it inspired us to double the number of ingredients we were sourcing from 19 around the world to 38 which was done by 2019. And finally with the Biobridge project we ring-fenced and protected and planted trees in 70 million square meters of land in Thailand, in Malaysia, India, Indonesia to ensure that indigenous animals and people were protected and were developed and re-nurtured for the future. But just because you have a great purpose doesn't mean that it always leads to great results. A purpose with such clarity as enrich not exploit doesn't always lead to great results to improve the environment. The body shop, like many cosmetic companies, uses plastic to hold most if not all of its products, including the body butters. I challenged the teams to find a new type of packaging made from the crushed leaves of sugarcane in Brazil that could actually be formed into a pot made to preserve the ingredients inside, made to be water and liquid proof and could replace all the plastic. Of course this was a completely new type of manufacturing material. Of course it would probably cost more in the beginning. Of course it was difficult to create. Of course it would take time. But that's uh, what we face with all of the innovation that's going to save tomorrow's planet. Huge challenges, huge obstacles, but at the end solutions that will probably turn out better than the original products and packaging that we've been using so far. So what would I like you, all of you who are listening, to take away from this podcast? The first is to see if your company has got a simple, single-minded, inspiring, slightly poetic purpose and that it uses that to replace its probably confusing, mundane and not very inspiring mission and vision statements. Then I'd like you to take that very purpose, write it down on a piece of paper and think of all the initiatives that could be inspired by those words, particularly ones concerning initiatives to improve the sustainability of the things that are being done in your company. But I would challenge you to think boldly. Please don't just look at reducing the amount of water being used perhaps in the toilets in all your offices. As noble as that is, it's not changing dramatically the way your consumers actually behave and utilise your product. And if any of you want any help crafting such a purpose or crafting such sustainability actions, please feel free to contact me either on our email production at savingtomorrowsplanet.com or check out our website savingtomorrowsplanet.com and contact us that way. Please do also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, 
Twitter or YouTube and all your comments will be welcome.